Hello and welcome to episode 187 of the Saint Score podcast, where we discuss everything going on at Southampton Football Club. It's been a busy week on the South Coast once again, with the Saints holding on to their unbeaten start to the championship season with an enthralling 4-4 draw against Norwich City. Boy, was I wrong with my boring 1-0 prediction. We've also seen James Ward-Prowse in a West Ham shirt, Romero Lavia edging towards Chelsea and the fans of Adversay at the annual Fans Forum. To analyse all my name is Harry Tizard. I'm joined by Ollie Boast and Mikey Maisman, and I'll start with Ollie. How are you doing this week? I'm doing very well, thanks. I've been uh, I've been back home this weekend, and I've been setting up uh, my mum with fantasy football. So it's the start of the Premier League this week, and uh, my mum's joined plenty of fantasy football leagues. So I've been trying to teach her how to play fantasy football. We used to make it a little segment on the old episodes i don't know whether people used to remember that but we used to talk about us and talk about how i used to win it every time um, <laughs> not to get my own horn but um yeah so that that's kind of been fun trying to explain all the in, in i don't know what you call like the little hidden details of fantasy football and the fact that picking good defensive midfielders and center backs doesn't really work and it doesn't really work like that um so yeah i've been half tech support half fancy football consultant this week so yeah, not bad. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I was trying to convince Mama T that Caicedo is worth 115 million, but he's not a good FPL pick. And it, <laughs> it didn't work. Um, Mikey, how are you doing this week? Yeah, doing doing well. I was. You always ask Ollie first, no matter who's yeah. on the podcast, whether it's myself, whether it's Jamie, whether it's Ollie. I. It's always Ollie that gets asked first. I think there is some sort favorite. of favoritism. Yeah, I, I think it's because it's the ex, the ex host almost. You know, like like Ollie used to <laughs> cast and direct it, and now Harry's yeah. taking it over. It's almost like you've got a little club there. Yeah, well, it's what the presenters' club, and you guys yeah, are like the, yeah. the ones that could change at any point. We're, we're, like... we're just the sideshows. We're just here <laughs> to like, fill up the numbers. A, a temporary yeah. contracts. Like <laughs> I don't know. You have to ask Harry that reason. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could be sold, like Ollie says, <laughs> at any point. Where Ollie, Ollie's the the vice captain, so he's I want a big be, contract. He's got to be kept. I want a he's Chelsea. I want a nine-year one. Right, talking about football. The big game, Saints versus Norwich, the first one at St. Mary's this season. And really, when you think about it, it's back-to-back 4-4 draws at home, which I don't think has probably ever been done before after the 4-4 draw against Liverpool at the end of last season. This one's not quite as glamorous because it's against the Canaries. But Oli, what are your thoughts on the game? Dramatic, but I, I, I was there. So me and Jamie watched it together. I really wanted Jamie on this episode because I thought it would have been good to compa- like compare our experiences. He came to the pub with me before as well. Had the whole day with him. So, um, yeah, a bit of a shame that he couldn't be here. But he's in London, I think. I don't think he has any Wi-Fi in London, so <laughs> he, he couldn't make it. Um, but no, I, I I really enjoyed it. Obviously, there were some slight concerns, but I think overall, I think we played pretty well. Um, obviously, we created those opportunities. Some slight points of contention. I thought we were lucky with some of the decisions that we were given. Um, and I think we were very generous to Norwich in the fact that we kind of, we gave them a lot of chances and they, they stuck them away. So yeah, a little little worries there, but you can see every game we're getting a little bit stronger with the style and it's encouraging. I think once we get our team set and decided and really, I think once the transfer window closes and we know who's here and who's ready to kind of give 100 percent 
I think we're, we're just going to get stronger and stronger. So I'm glad that we're still picking points up at the moment because you can still see there's some way to go, but it's, it's looking good so far. And I think we'll definitely get stronger, which is the, the main thing to look forward to. And Mikey, what were your thoughts on the game? I think I think Ollie's pretty much spot on. I think a couple of decisions that we got were slightly contentious. I, I think watching the highlights, the two penalty decisions are they they're penalties, but they're quite soft. I, I don't know. Handball was hard to see from the camera angle, even on the first one. Um, it, it was difficult to see. Uh, and then Walker Peters, I think he's more backed into the defender than the defender's gone through the back of him. Um, but from from a Norwich perspective, I think first goal, I think, is poor defending. Um, second goal, I don't think you can do much about it. Third goal, set piece again. Um, and the fourth is just a, a, a bad decision being made. So when, when you break down the game as a whole, I, I think it's exactly how I, I think exactly how I said it last week was it's probably how most games are going to go we're going to dominate the ball we're going to dominate possession we're going to create more chances yet we'll still see lapses we'll still see um poor defending and and just yeah a, a bit of frustration because those goals probably shouldn't occur and we, we probably have got a little bit lucky with some of the decisions that happened during the game um but yeah, at least it, it keeps our unbeaten record. We're on the playoffs, so we, we're not going to drop out the playoff for the rest of the season. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, uh, but no, it, we it's it's a weird it's a weird saying, but we don't know where Norwich are going to end up at the end of the year. This could be a really good point if Norwich are going to be up there in the playoffs, and and we've taken something from this game. It's always good when you score late. Um, being being in the fact that. We we managed to rescue a draw instead of it being a loss of three points. So yeah, no, I think morale will still be high in the camp, and I think one of the main positives is that Adam Armstrong now has three goals and two. Jay Adams now has two goals and two. Our strikers are scoring goals. People really don't know what's happening. This has never happened in a very long time now, where we've got two strikers scoring goals. You probably have to go back to Ricky Lambert and Lee Barnard, or Ricky Lambert and any one of the championship. League One players that have been up there. Yeah, talking about our championship strikers, just to chuck this in, I saw Billy Sharp has now gone to LA Galaxy. What oh. a move that is for him at the age <laughs> of, what, 36, 37. What a little switch. Uh, but I go to Ollie, our match-going Saints fan for the weekend. Like Mikey mm-hmm. said, we went 1-0 down from a Josh Sargent head. We had a quiet second half of the season in the championship last season, but it was really good in the first. What was the mood around the staging like when that opening goal went in? Because at that point, we had been quite quiet in the game. Yeah, so first of all, the atmosphere was really good. I think we had 29,000 out of the 30,000 that were there. So large majority Saints fans, the the Norwich fans did look like they took up the whole allocation. And I'm sorry, Norwich fans, if you're listening to this, I don't know what it would be, but they seemed very quiet. They they weren't too loud. So um, it felt like we kind of had, we, we pumped the atmosphere at the start and it was, there might've been an opportunity before, but it really felt the first time that Norwich had control possession at all during the game. What I noticed is that, again, we were really good at pressing and we kind of, we aimed our press to for it to go back to their centre backs who didn't have the composure and just sometimes just hoofed it out of play, not even up the pitch for us to contest a header, but just literally put it straight out of play and for us to carry on. But it's the first time that they had kind of real controlled possession and real simple move where they've just gone 
right round the back to the side. Um, it's gone out wide and had a bit bit too much time to kind of put in the ball. And then I think it's just a back post header and it, it's just kind of gone in. Bazunu's kind of scrambling across, doesn't really get to it. And it just felt, we were kind of like, oh, oh God. Uh, so you can kind of hear everyone just, it just got quiet. I don't think anyone got worried because it was early in the game, but I think, it, yeah, everyone kind of went, oh, okay, this isn't as easy as we thought it was going to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was too bad at the start, but people kind of went, oh, hang on, let's not, you know, already book our season tickets for next year because we're going to get promoted. Da, da, da. It, it kind of, it put a bit of realism on it, I think, which I think in a way is good because it kind of, Lowered the ex- the fans' expectations a little bit, um, but then obviously kickstarted absolute goal fest later on in the game. Absolutely, I'll, I'll quickly get to Mikey's analytical side of the the first goal that we conceded. Do you think it was quite poor? A lot of the time we, we will talk about set pieces, but it was a cross once again. I don't think Stacey, in my opinion, was closed down quick enough, and then Sargent's just a bit taller than Carl Walker Peters. Really, it's a bit of a mismatch, and it's an easy header for him. I think it's more of a free header at the back post than anything. I don't think Carl Walker-Peters was close enough to him. I don't think there was enough communication in the box. And it's another it's another situation where we've managed to concede a goal from us forward ghosting into the box and no one picking him up, really. It's, it, it's a bit disappointing. I don't think there was enough pressure in the cross, like you said. I, I think that there needs to be a little bit more aggression from Ryan Manning. And I think... It's a similar goal that we've conceded on multiple occasions, which is a cross into the box. And Benderek's gone to attack the ball, misjudged the flight of the cross. And due to the fact that he stepped those two, three yards forward, it's given Sargent all the space in the world between the centre half and the back to head the ball in. And he's not really done it under too much pressure. Yeah, and a frantic half continued when Jan Bednarek scored, I think, his first goal in 18 months, at least in the correct end anyway. And it was from a quick corner. Ollie, when you look at it, do you sort of feel that now James Will-Prowse has gone, we've seen that we can actually take quite quick corners. We don't always have to whip it into the box. I know in pre-season we did take quite a few shorts, to be fair. But it shows that we can score different sort of goals. Yeah, and that's nothing to take away from um, Will Smallbone's corner taking abilities because I think he put in some some good balls I also think the Will Smallbone chant needs some work whoever's creating these chants because just replacing James Ward-Prowse's chant with Will Smallbone it's not cutting it for me I'm sorry we can do better than that let's let's get back to the drawing board and fix that because uh, I'm not sure I can I get it because our oh, Smallbone could be the new Ward-Prowse replacement but honestly I could just give him a new song let's not let's not try and shoehorn in that chant anyway um Back to the short corners. I think it was good. Um, we're obviously working at playing uh, in short spaces, opening up angles, and the players are very used to it playing in the midfield. So doing it from a corner it can open up some some space and allow that ball to go in. Um, I've got no problems with it. I don't remember sometimes people uh, boo when they see a, a short corner because they're like, oh, yeah, come on, just get it in the box. But the players have the composure now to play play short, and it gives us another opportunity, like I said, gives a different angle to put the ball in, which can be more favourable. And at the end of the day, it worked as well. So um, I'm happy to see more of that. I think it could be a, a different way that we can try and create things. Because remember, we're not the tallest side. We are quite a short side and there will be big teams in the championship. I thought we were quite short in the Premier League. And I think when we drop down to the champion, championship, there's going to be massive size. I think Norwich were a huge side. When I saw them lining up and there's us compared to Norwich, they looked massive. So... Um, I think it's a good it's a good tactic because obviously we've got a goal from a corner which we probably wouldn't expected considering the the, the giants of Norwich that um, that we were playing against. 
Now, not to skip forward too much, but you, you raise an interesting point about the height of our side compared to the others, and that was something brought up in the fans' forum. And then, not pushed away completely by Russell Marston and Jason Wilcox, but they they look at more the style of player than the the physical attributes. Mike, is that the right way to go about things, or or do you need a, a blend of both? I mean, from a play style of perspective, we're 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 currently transitioning from a team that is more physically based to a team that's more technically based. And so when you talk about the right player to be bought in, a player like Flynn Dowes, who we can skip even further ahead, um, <laughs> but a player like Flynn Dowes is definitely more technically that side of things than physically. So when you look at it in that perspective, he'll fit the system perfectly because the hope is, is that we're not going to run as much. We're going to be keeping the ball a lot better and, and we're going to need these technical players who can do that. The, the issue is at this level, you don't, you can't just tick one box. You can't just be a fantastic technical player. You need to be good mentally, physically, however you can do. You have to tick two or three boxes to be able to play at this level. So when you when you talk about having a really good technical player, it's probably to better to play a technical player who's very physical than a technical player who isn't because they'll have greater usage when defending set pieces, attacking set pieces, which is a key bit of the game. I think with the short corners, I, I think what it also allows you to do is, is not let the defence set themselves up. So everyone will go in with a plan now, whether it's like markings only, marking man to man, maybe doing a little bit of both everyone will have a set plan and know who they're supposed to be marking but if you take that corner a little bit quicker take it short a it gives you a different angle for the cross it might allow that to be a little bit better than from corner, but also it can it can allow for the opposition not to get set meaning that you may have a little bit more mismatch on on who's battling who so i don't know who jack stevens actually out jumped at the back post to nod the ball back across goal or have that shot at goal but there was definitely a mismatch in that situation. While maybe he was supposed to be marked by a centre half or someone who who's a little bit bigger to be able to contain Jack Stevens. So that that's where you can get an advantage in that sense. But if you can, it, it'll be up to them on what style of player they want. And I think probably more technical is what we need because we do have a lot of physical based players who won't be able to play the style of play Russell Martin wants or won't be as good as, as someone who could play that style of play a little bit differently. Well, there's more manic penalty box action a bit later on. Ollie, any qualms from a Norwich side of you about the penalty? Shane Duffy hit the ball, hit his hand. I know from a Saints perspective, we won't have any issues at all, but mm. trying, trying to look at it neutrally, can you understand why it's given? I mean, I was right there. It was in front of the Northern. I didn't really see it. And I've watched the replays back and it it's still not very clear. So I'm not too sure uh, exactly on it. I, I don't want to kind of sit on the fence here, but it's just because, you know, I've seen it in person. And I've seen it on the cameras. I still really, it's not that, that clear to me. Um, the one thing that I at least quite like is the fact that a decision is made in the moment, which felt really refreshing because once you saw that penalty and it was just pointed straight there, everyone in the crowd knew, oh, okay, yeah, we got a penalty and we knew what was happening next. So um, oh, the decision on the penalty, I'm, I generally, to this date, I'm not too sure. I think some Norwich fans would probably be disappointed with it and whether he can actually do that much about where his hand is. Um, as a Saints fan, we will take those. And did I enjoy the fact that the decision was made straight away and, and not through VAR? Yes. So, um, yeah, sorry, Norwich. It might have been a little bit unfortunate, but... At the end of the day, I think it's going to happen both ways. And um, 
we won't have VAR to, to overturn it this season. So good or bad for me, but I'll, I'll take those. And it was Adam Armstrong's second goal of the season. Mikey, how well was it dispatched? Good penalty, confident penalty. A penalty that I like is when a player just hits the ball hard. Like Ricky Lambert style, just smack the ball as hard as you can and, and the keeper won't be able to get down to it and save it. And even if he gets a fingertip on it, it's not going to be enough. Um, he did that with both penalties, in all fairness. It, it felt like he, he was very confident in striking that ball. And again, it's three goals in two games. And it's it's a fantastic ratio to have for Adam Armstrong. And as much as it's been two penalties and, and a flick off the back of his head from Nathan hmm. Teller's shot, it's confidence for him. It's 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 something to build him up and, and go, yeah, you can score goals again. Let's let's keep going and let's keep scoring goals. Uh, it's it's um it's really good that he's he's doing that. But on Ollie's point on VAR, like I sort of had a similar reaction where we're going. I couldn't really see the handball. I I think if there are replays, I don't, I don't see it being given. But it's sort of like on the one hand, we'll have a goal that's given offside, and our player will be a yard on. They can do about it. And then we'll have it on the other way as well, where a player is two yards offside, he scores, and the flag doesn't come up. And those will be the moments where you go, oh, I wish we had VAR in this league. But until until it goes against you, it's fantastic that, that there's yeah. no VAR in this league and we can get away with things that probably maybe wouldn't have been blown up in the Premier League. But with some of the penalty decisions this year in the Premier League, who, who knows? Because after the, the incident at Old Trafford... I, who knows what penalty is anymore? I also think with Benarak's opportunity, like his chance as well. You said about it went to Stevens at the back post, but I'm pretty sure Stevens gave the the player Mark him a good little shove in the back before he's gone up for it. So um, a little bit of the the dark arts there, um, as Hassan who used to used to call it. But if that went to VAR, would would have been pulled back and seen that Stevens would create a foul to be the assist for the goal. Who knows? But yeah, I think we were a little bit. Uh, lucky or fortunate, shall we say, for, for the first one as well. Well, no sooner did we stop celebrating, Norwich started after a cracking goal from Gabriel Sara. There's not much we can discuss about that, but something that we can is the marking for their third goal. Rowe somehow didn't really have to move too much to have a completely free header. He's you know, not the tallest of players either. Right into the corner, to be fair to him. No, no problem with the quality of the header or the goalkeeping for it, but the marking around it. Ollie, how frustrating is it to continuously concede goals that look almost exactly the same? It's almost like we need to hire a set-piece coach, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much work he's going to have, but I think he's going to have to have like a dedicated day or something. I was thinking about this, and I know... Um, teams work on this kind of marginal gains theory and then try and prove every little thing by 1% and it will create this massive effect but how much, like, how much time does this set piece coach actually get given and how much time is he now going to have to put in to try and fix um, our style because this might be a question for Mikey to deflect it to him but I, I can't really tell what we're doing at corners which is a real worry because you know I watch them week in week out but it seems like it's zonal but no one really takes any responsibility and the opposition can just kind of float where they want. And if the ball gets to their head, they put it in the back of the net. So I don't know where, but Mikey, you can decipher what we're doing, but it seems like, it seems like it's zonal marking not done very well. Well, we've got, uh, as at a setup, we've got one man on the front post. We've then got our, our strongest header at, at the front. We have three across the six yard box where I think you go bravest at the front, strongest header in the middle, 
and then the one who will clean up at the back. I think that's how the order goes. We then got Sam Adozi, who's sort of sat two yards away from the six-yard box uh, at that front post. And then it looks like we've got everyone else man-marking. But when you watch the highlight back, Rowe literally just walks. There's no one around him, no like no player who who looks like they they haven't picked a man up and the to be honest the only man that it does look like who hasn't picked him up is adam armstrong he he looks like the one who's who's just lost his man but he was on josh Sharp sergeant so what what was happening against gillingham and it's something i pointed out against gillingham was they we had three players on the edge of the 18 yard box they had four and they always had a plus one advantage against us. And I'd be interested if watching back the Norwich set pieces, if at corners, again, they had a plus one advantage on the edge of the box, because that's going to come a massive issue if that continues, because it will allow Norwich to have a free runner into the box at every single occasion, no matter who the opposition is, they'll have a free runner on the edge of the box, which when you've got, it feels like, do we leave any players up for corners or, or did we not? I'm, I'm assuming we didn't. Can't remember any. I don't think so. No. So if we're doing like we did against with Hassanville and bringing all eleven players back into the box, how is a man making a run into the eighteen-yard box towards the six-yard box? How are they getting a free runner when you've got eleven players in your own box? Mm. And, and that's that's where the issue comes. Is that. If they're just bigger, stronger, there's not really a lot you can do about it. Maybe swap out a couple of people, but when you're mar- when you're doing a mix of zonal and man marking, those three across the six yard box are your strongest headers and usually are your sense. So when it comes to man marking and physicality, I know we're not going to be able to compete with every single side in the championship. But if it literally comes down to the simplicity of mathematics and in the fact that you haven't bothered to mark five players even though you've got a free man in Samadozi as much as he probably wouldn't win the header he might be able to disrupt people and it looks like Charlie Alcaraz at the front post who would be able to disrupt people just pull them out of position is it really that important for them to be in that place who knows but hopefully with a set piece um a specialist set piece coach I might add as well into into the coaching setup hopefully it does improve because that's a what four set pieces conceded in three games it's just not it's not good enough at this level to be conceding set pieces like that yeah absolutely with the shorter players their job might not be to head it away but it's uh, like you said stop the runs of the people that can also possibly head the ball across the goal or or into the net it's something russell martin mentioned in the fans forum was a lot of teams maybe get into the playoffs or you know avoid relegation basically off of scoring from set pieces especially in the championship does that mean that this season mikey we're going to have to work even harder on these set pieces because we're going to come up against much bigger sides that are going to just aim to get set pieces into the box because i can't i can't lie to you every time that they have a corner any opposition that is i'm concerned i'm very concerned well you look at last season's premier league the two best set piece teams were arsenal and manchester city and it's it's any team if you can get an extra goal to like I think City scored fifteen to eighteen corner like set pieces last season. If you can generate goals from set piece situations, you are just generating more goals that you don't have to score in open play. And like teams will survive off of it. Like Luton this season in the in the Premier League will survive off of set pieces. 
they get it. Brentford survived off of set pieces the first season that they were in the um, Premier League. Uh, it, it is a way for clubs to be able to score goals is through set pieces. That's why long throws are being brought back into the game and are becoming more because it's a set piece situation where you can put six, seven, eight men in the box and cause a little bit of chaos and you might get two or three goals from it in the air. And even if it's just the one or two goals, that could be one point, that could be three points that are key to your survival. So that's why set pieces are so important. Like To be able to score goals from them, it's so key. And to be able to stop goals coming in from them, they're, they're, as much as they're important, they're also quite simple. It's a set plan. If you, if you carry out your plan successfully and effectively, you will not concede from a set piece. So that is... That's the hope, is that we'll just get better at defending those set pieces because all of a sudden we're no longer out in the second round to a League Two side. We keep a clean sheet on the opening day and then we don't. We might beat Norwich 4-3. I know it's easy to say because of what's happened in the game, but you take those goals away, we, we probably are unbeaten for, in our first three games. Well, that was Norwich to, to make the score of 3-2. And at that point, I felt like they they sat not they didn't sit back a lot, but they sat a lot deeper. And it felt like for a long time, it was attack versus defence. It was only a matter of time until we would score. And then Che Adams came up with the equaliser. Ollie, do you feel that he can start alongside Adam Armstrong? Because if he keeps scoring off the bench, A, either if he doesn't get starts, he'll be off to a Premier League team where he will start games. Or see, just just so we can start playing him because we need to make the most out of players that are on form and in confidence. I also think he's really good off the bench. He gives such a different dynamic to Adam Armstrong. Adam Armstrong was almost dropping into the midfield to try and create little pockets of space behind him. So it would kind of move and disrupt as he went along. And Chadams is so different. He almost wants to put his back against the against the defender and then play off and bring players into the game. So... He brings such a different dynamic. But I also noticed as well, I don't think he's as physical as he was in the Premier League. You know, he had a, he looked really... I, I, a few people pointed it out and I don't. I think he's kind of slimmed down a little bit. I don't think he's as kind of, yeah, as big on the muscle as he was. I don't know whether that's just from the kind of conditioning that he's had um, in the pre-season or whatever. But um, I think he looks really good off the bench. Now, whether that's just because he's good as an impact player or whether he is a quality player that will just do well in the championship if you give him 90 minutes not just 30 so I think it's a strange decision is it a strange decision it's it's a tough decision to not play him because I I put him down as top goal scorer this year because I think quality wise I think he will have that little bit of an edge over Adam Armstrong but I think it's that We've seen that Russell Martin doesn't hesitate to take players out of a situation if there's a kind of contention to whether they'll be here within the squad. And I think what he's doing at the moment, he's investing in Adam Armstrong because he knows Adam Armstrong is going to stay with us till the end of the season. That's pretty clear. So I think what he's doing is he's getting Adam Armstrong used to the system. He's gotten goals. He's gotten confidence. And uh, I think once we understand what we're doing with Che Adams, then he'll be integrated more back into the team. But at the moment, I don't think we're quite no. And I think it would be a shame to, even though it'd be a good contribution to have Che Adams' goals, if he then went off to Palace, if he went off to Bournemouth on deadline day, then it feels like we've got a bit of a a hole to fill and then it's a big step up for Adam Armstrong again. Whereas now we know we've got both of them goals, both on good form and both can kind of fit into that that system. So I think I understand why Adam Armstrong's playing. And will we see both of them together 
it would be interesting to see how that would change the dynamic, but then that's taking a manner of the midfield where we're playing that kind of free man midfield. And I think we've already struggled with transition and defensive play, especially in our midfield, which I'm sure we'll mention in a minute. But um, yeah, I think Martin is keen on having that free man midfield. So it'd be interesting to see where he takes that player out. Um, so I, I don't really see us playing with, with a two. Unfortunately, I think he would pick one or the other. Mikey, what would you do with Chadams? And do you think that maybe Armstrong, if Adozi's out for one game, two games, I'm not too sure on his injury record, put him out on the left and Adams up front, you know, looking at the team set up, what would you try and do? I think the last thing that Adam Armstrong wants, and I think the last thing Russell Martin wants, is to take Adam Armstrong out of that nine spot. I think he's been dragged out that nine spot for a very long time, like what? season and a half or so playing on the wing I don't think that's where you get the best out of Adam Armstrong I think what what you can do is you can rotate them depending on what what works like they're two similar ish but not really they're, they're quite different strikers I think you you've got one who can exploit space really well good first time shooter good player around the penalty box and you've got one who can bring people into play but physically stronger and probably can battle a little bit better than what Adam Armstrong can. So it might be the case that you can just rotate them to whatever um, whatever sort of centre-half line-up you're coming up against. If you're quite slow, dodgery centre-half, you might want Armstrong there to be able to use his pace and inject his pace into the game. But I, I think either way, it's, it's a system-based approach. We're, we're not going for like a switch in formation just to see what the players can do. It's very much system-based. So I think where Martin is 4-3-3, using the system to get the best out of players instead of using players to get the best out of a result. So I think it will stay as one up top. I think it'll be interesting to see if Che Adams wants to adopt a winger role like he did at Birmingham. It'll be interesting to see what Adam Armstrong would be like as a left winger in this side. But at the moment, as long as they're both happy and enjoying their football and scoring goals, then that's that's the important thing. So if one has to be on the bench and one has to um, come off it, then that's just the way it's got to be. Yeah, talking about Norwich's fourth goal when they took the lead for the third time, Christian Fashnat, I think I've got that about right, made the most of Manning's mistake. There's not too much to analyse on that. We know that Manning just played it straight into his path. There's not much Bazunu could do. But then the big, probably most contentious part of the game, the 98th minute, Carl Walker-Peters was fouled by Giannoulis and the ref points straight to the spot. Ollie. What were you feeling like at that very moment? Because that that's a big moment. Yes. Um, what I immediately said to Jamie was, I shouldn't have uh, trash-talked Angus Gunn uh, the week before because I went, can you imagine if he pulled off a penalty save in the 97th minute, turned around and gave it to the Saints fans and thought, you know, he was basically ostracised ever since he, he got beaten 9-0, confident shot rebuilt himself at Norwich and then could you know, imagine if he just went and pulled pulled off that save in the 97th minute. So I was regretting my words is what I was doing. Um, a lot of people just turning away and couldn't watch because we'd, we'd thrown the game away with a, a really unfortunate mistake by Manning because, again, I thought he had a really solid game and up until that point he would have been maybe my man of the match if Adam Armstrong hadn't put it away too, and he didn't make that mistake. Had another really solid game. I think it's really unfortunate. Nice to see the rest of the players immediately make sure to go pick him up and make sure that we we went on. Our, man our mentality was good after that. We went 
we went to try and get back into the game. And even after the penalty, we even pushed for one more. And I thought Alcaraz was going to put it away at the end there. But in terms of the penalty, really well taken, really calm and collected for that, for um, for how late that is in the game. And considering as well that he'd already taken one before there, there is that little extra bit of mind games, isn't there, when you've taken one before, whether you go to the same side that you, you went to or whether you change it up. So, yeah, a little bit of um, mind games there. But it, it went in. Uh, the fans, it felt like the, the roof was going to go off at the end there. Uh, and then, yeah, almost pushed on for another as well, which was really nice to see. When you think uh, you get a 97th minute equaliser, um, but they were still grabbing the ball, making sure everyone was set, and then went, went at them again and used all the time we had, which is which is great. It's great to see that mentality at the end of the game to try and think, well, let's not just only try and equalise, let's, let's go and try and win it as well. I mean, yeah, Russell Martin thought Alcaraz scored that fifth and possibly winning goal as well, seeing the uh, the Saints uncovered or behind the scenes and uh, what what a moment that would have been. I think you would have lost your voice at that point <laughs> if we scored five in one game and won it right there. Looking at the stats of the game, though, Mikey, I want to throw a question at you. 31 shots and 70% possession. But do you think Russell Martin will be disappointed that we never felt, or I never felt, that we really had control over the game and that's what he really wants on his side? I mean, I, I think so from a well, from a statistical standpoint, it sounds like we had a lot of control over the game. I think I think the issue is that again with the the chances that we're giving up, we're giving up two easy goals. Like the the just two, I, I think with the second goal, I think that strike. There's not a lot you can do about it apart from maybe closing down more. But he's released the ball quite quickly, and it's it's a fantastic strike that I don't think Bazunu had a chance to to react quick enough um but I, I think it's the softness of the goals I, I think when you look at the first goal I think it's communication is something that we've lacked for a couple of years now of, of defending from crosses and judging balls into the box I, I think the Ryan Manning mistake is if he, he's just made a the wrong decision if he clears that with his right foot it doesn't go anywhere near if he doesn't touch the ball it it probably rolls out for a throw in but he's made that decision to try and intercept the pass and it's not not come off so i i think overall he'll be disappointed that we didn't come away with three points having scored four goals but from the position that we were in i, I think a point is is good um uh, and i mean as much as yeah we we've not um we've not won this game i think fans probably came away with quite a spring in their step and it's what Russell Martin needs is, is to have a feel-good factor around this team because the football is going to be possession-based. It is going to be a little bit dull sometimes. So he needs games like this where fans can enjoy it and it's a bit of a spectacle and what we've had an 87th minute way there in the first one. Domination and a broken in the first game. And in the third game, we've had, what, four or eight goals um, at, at home. And probably, I mean, Ollie, you probably really enjoyed that game being at the stadium. It probably was fantastic. Yeah, that's what the football club needs is just enjoyment, like just just enjoyment in football again, because we've had three or four years where we've lost more games than we've won and it's been a struggle. So just just enjoying football again and, and enjoying the results and watching watching Southampton play football. I keep it on you then for that. The fans may have enjoyed it. The point is is great from the situation that we've been in, but. What do you think Russell Martin's taken out of that game against Norwich? How do you think he saw it? I, I think he's still 
a little way to go from, from what he wants it to be. I think defensively is definitely something we do have to get stronger at. It's just decision-making, making sure players are making the right decision at the right time. And if Ryan Manning maybe gets a call saying that there's no one behind him and he's got time to, to try and bring the ball down, does he make that touch? I, I don't know. If he, if he looks over his shoulder and sees that no one's behind him, does he try and bring the ball down? Probably not. Um, I, yeah, and I think set pieces is still going to be the thing that I'm going to go on about so much. Um, but yeah. set pieces are going to be the key thing. If we can stop conceding goals from set pieces, we will start winning more football matches and, and making life a lot easier for ourselves. So hopefully it will be looking back at the set pieces, seeing that we're being outnumbered on the edge of the 18-yard box and fixing something about it. And some weeks we won't concede due to the way that we set up because of the fact that there's not enough quality from the opposition, whether it's the ball in the box, whether it's the timing, whether whatever. And maybe we've just got very unlucky from our opening three games that we've conceded four set pieces. But it's something that definitely has to be looked at and worked on. And I'm sure something that is being looked at and worked on throughout this week. And Ollie, you were at the stadium. What did you make of the three-man midfield without James Rob prowse How did it look? Uh stretched is probably the best word for it um especially in the first half you could see it wasn't working you were essentially playing with two who what i'd call number 10s and smallbone who i think is naturally an eight so i think smallbone did a really good job with what he was tasked to do he had some great interceptions um he was obviously very confident playing out once he won the ball so he was really good for our ball retention and um, happy to offer in between the two centre-backs as well as a number six. Problem was, when he went for the ball, when he went in for those interceptions and didn't quite make it, there was absolutely no one behind him, and Norwich could just run at the defence, which caused us the issues, and that's why they looked so dangerous on the counter-attack. I think the midfield looked so much stronger when um, uh, Shea Charles came on, and he looked so much more composed, played the simple pass every time, um, and had the same sort of um, interceptions that Smallbone had, but also just kind of calmed us down a little bit. I think it might have just been the, the phase of the game, but I thought he had a, a really exciting kind of uh, introduction in the fact that he looked so composed and so so easy to slot in into that number six. I know he's kind of been brought in as that replacement for Lavia, so it, it makes sense, but he was played in... He was played in centre-back in pre-season and looked kind of really uncomfortable in that position, understandably. So once he got put into his natural position, looked really good on the ball and we looked so much more balanced. I think that's the main thing is the balance of that midfield. Um, it was way too attacking in that first half and kind of explained why we looked so good um, while trying to create chances. You had Armstrong floating out outside and playing a lot on the, um, the left-hand side with Manning and Adozi. But it just meant on, on counter-attacks and in that transition, we looked so exposed and um, really kind of weak defensively. So we did we did miss that quality from Warprouse. I know Warprouse is not a number six, but he just had that ability to win the ball back and kind of support like, um, like Smallbone, um, who just felt a little bit exposed on his own. So first half, really exposed, really stretched. Um, second half, especially with the changes, looked a lot more secure. And um, yeah, definitely, definitely... Um, hopeful that we can kind of have more of that defensive solidarity rather than um, the kind of all over the all over the place chaos I think is probably the word in the first half 
you mentioned him just there in the final question before we move on to the transfer news. Marky, how devastating is Smallbone's injury because of how good a start he's had? It's a it's a real shame that it's another another injury setback for Will Smallbone in a Southampton shirt. It, it's felt like his season to sort of progress into that starting eleven and be a part of it and and really make himself an important player. And he he has he has had a fantastic start to the season, but again it just opens up another opportunity for Shea Charles to maybe make himself a permanent fixture in this eleven. It may open up an opportunity for Flynn Dowles who who is on his way, um, apparently, according to the fans forum especially, um, that he is on his way into the club. It may, might make him have that opportunity to slot in as that six. So we've still got competition, we've still got squad depth, but yeah, for Will Smallbone, it's a real shame because I think a lot of the fan base wanted to see him push on this season and have a good year. And yeah, it, it's just another another injury that I think is worse than what was expected on Saturday. Right, transfer time now, and it's probably the last time that we're going to mention this name, probably until the, the season review where we talk about Mikey putting him down as our player of the season. James Will Prowse has officially gone to West Ham United. We mentioned it last week, but Ollie, I want to hear your thoughts again. When you saw him in that shirt, you saw West Ham's announcement video, you saw our video as well. How did you feel? Yeah, it felt wrong. I didn't like it. But I, I totally understand it. Some people really upset the way that he left, saying he's not a legend. He's thrown it all away. Come on. We, we knew this was going to happen. We knew that if an opportunity arose that meant he could you know, push on and get back to, to where he was, the player that he can play, he can play in European football. We know this. We know he's got quality. and We know he wants to try and break that um, free kick record. So it was a really good opportunity to, that presented himself. I think the club... Uh, realised that the value that we would get for a 29-year-old in November, is it? Yeah, with, uh, you know, still on a reasonable contract, but kind of in his, kind of coming past his prime, depending on how you look at it, it made financial sense for us as well. Uh, so I think both sides were happy. The only person who's not happy is me and the rest of the fans, because it means we can't kid ourselves that he's going to stay around for this season. He is eventually good. He had to move on, which which he will. But I think it will be a good fit for him. I think he will be uh, enjoyed by the West Ham fans. And uh, we just have to kind of, I guess, enjoy the time that we had with him there. Oh, getting a wistful now. I can't do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, amazing player. Left such a legacy at Saints. And a real, I think that the thing we need to take from this is the fact that it can, that can provide the opportunity for the next generation that come through and the, the platform that we allow these players. If you kind of put in the effort like War Prowse is, he, he wasn't especially gifted in one specific attribute. I think the main things that he had was his dedication, his dedication to, to hone his craft, whether that was specifically free kicks or anything else in his game. You think of how many countless managers we've had and they've all decided to play and that's because of his dedication, his work rate and his ability that he had on the pitch. So I think the main thing for it is that not only do we have these amazing memories that he created, but also it gives such a kind of uh, role model for the younger players to come through and uh, aspire to and kind of show them that the career that they can have at um, Southampton. Now, I think he's an absolutely phenomenal servant for the club, but is James Ward-Prowse a legend? 
I'm not too sure. I know he's got 430 appearances for the club, but when I think about maybe the legends, at least of, of my time anyway, not the, the Matt Letizis because that was, that was before me, but when I think about my time, I look at the Ricky Lamberts and the, the Jose Fonts that have got us through three divisions. Then I look at the Manes or the Virgil van Dijks that have helped us push into the Europa League. I'm not saying that James Will Prowse wasn't a huge part of that, but he didn't really have that same level of effect. I think about our best times maybe in recent years as a Saints fan. And at those moments, I think James Will Prowse was more of a bit part player under Ralph Hasenhutl when he really came into his own. I think Danny Ings was still the main man with 22 goals. And I think, you know, when we survived relegation, yes, it was with James Will Prowse and he was absolutely the main man. But you don't really think about celebrating those times necessarily. You think, fantastic, 17 free kicks, that's brilliant but it didn't necessarily end in a happy way. Mikey, is, is James Will Prowse a legend for you? In my opinion, he is. Uh, it, I, I think with how much loyalty he showed the club and, and how long he's been with us, I think that, that obviously puts him up there. But I think um, it's it's the fact that he... When when you talk about Matt Letizia being a legend at Southampton for club and I know the errors are completely different and, and what they achieved was completely different scoring 100 Premier League goals for Matt Letizier but we were never up there as a challenging top eight we weren't playing European football we weren't doing this that and the other so I think there's different ways you can phrase it as a Southampton legend I think it's always down to the person because of course you mentioning Van Dijk and Mane I wouldn't have them near the top of my legends list in, in my my opinion and I think that would be an interesting tier list to do um but <laughs> having having that sort of um that sort of status I'd say Will Prowse is because it felt like last season he was the only player dragging us forward I think for two or three years before that I think he was vital to how we play I think with his over the 20 years he's become a Saints Foundation ambassador he's done so much for the football club he's He's the definition of what a Southampton player should be, of breaking through from the academy as an eight-year-old, developing him, making him an England international and doing all that sort of stuff. I think that's what embodies a Southampton player, in my opinion. So when James Ward-Prowse like, should be mentioned, he's come through from an eight-year-old, broken to the first team, played Premier League football, made his England debut, become Southampton captain... Those are the attributes that I would say is a, a legend at Southampton Football Club. If you can, you can talk about the personal achievement of the player individually, you can talk about the achievements of the club while they were there. But I think on that standpoint, Jace Will Prowse is a legend, in my opinion, at Southampton Club. Lovely. Right, let's end the James Will Prowse note on a, on a nice memory. Ollie, what was your favourite James Will Prowse memory? Oh... First free kick for me. I think I think it's a solid one. I think it's a I think it'll be a very high one there, but I think it really cemented himself as a clinical free kick taker. We knew he had the ability, but we needed a him in that moment. It had that kind of that reminiscent of his idol, which was was uh, David Beckham in those last minutes. You needed someone and that star whipping it round right into that top corner, keeper outstretched, can't reach it for me right in the front of the Northern as well. And I, I got to see that live, which will be a special memory for me, which I won't forget in a long time. So it has to be that for me. And Mikey, what's your favourite James Will Prowse memory? 
I don't think I've heard a roar around St Mary's like when James Ward Prowse hit the back of the net against Spurs. I think that was such an important game in in that season, especially in the fact that Valerie had scored what four or five five minutes late earlier, and and Ward Prowse then scores the winner. I think any free kick you can say is is the best memory, whether it be in his a double free kick against Aston Villa at, at Villa Park and scoring on his birthday twice. Or whether it's even like I think his performance against Everton, like earlier this season, where he scores a goal, brings it down and, and puts a lovely finish into the back of the net and then scores that free kick and it's one of the only wins we had this year. <laughs> so so having that was too. But I, I think you could bring it all the way but I think Spurs will be my favourite but I think there's two that top there which is his first goal for the club when he had his blue tongue because of the power raise and he scored it Coventry away back post and pointing to the back of his shirt like he knew he was going to be a legend at the club but also the Wilfred Zahar incident and the yeah. whole saga of Wilfred Zahar yeah. has been an absolute joy um, to, to have. Because I was at that game where where the cheeky smile around the back as Zaha's being sent mm. off at the Palace. Um, fantastic. But I think there's multiple that you can choose. And we could probably have this discussion for hours upon end of what your favourite James Forbes moment is. Well, there could be two Premier League debuts on the Super Sunday. It's West Ham versus Chelsea and Lavia is heading to London. Ollie, what do you think about this whole transfer saga? But at the end, him going to Chelsea. It was really interesting to see how long Liverpool took it. And then Chelsea just came in and swooped in. And interesting, because in the fans forum, it was said that um, Liverpool did have an agreement. So they ended up putting up the money. I think Liverpool kind of showed their hand when they... What seemingly looked like out of spite when and put 110 million in for um, Caicedo, I, th- I think is the way you see it. But um, yeah, really, really odd that they were, pet, you know, filling around with two million. And we stayed strong. And by, by staying strong, we've kind of made Liverpool just look a little bit silly, really, that they, they were played around with that sort of money. I mean, what's two million extra up front? Um, but he's gone to Chelsea. And I think it's probably because of the overall package shall we say that they're offering I heard online that apparently it's because they wanted they had that deal in January that they've wanted him since there and I think um, that's probably the nice headline that they want to present but I also think Chelsea are going to put him on a mega deal they're, they're putting up crazy money for a 19 year old and I think once you see that and realize you can live that life in London you can um, play for a really you can play under Pochettino you've obviously you're going to be generational wealth from however big these contracts are that, that Chelsea are giving away. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess, yeah, that they, they wanted, they wanted you first in January. I think either way, he's going to be happy with each one, but I think it's now just down to the fact that we need to, to sort out the money with Chelsea. They've put in around 50, but we need to work out how much they're actually putting up front because they need to do some sort of tinkering. I don't know how they're spending this sort of money. I don't know whether they know they're going to get broken by like, FFP and they're just signing however many they can before they get caught seems really strange but as long as we can figure it out and we can get the deal sorted to get the kind of money in through the door and start reinvesting um, that's the main thing for me I think these were the main players that we knew were probably going to go and it's all been wrapped up um, Livermento's gone uh, Warprouse has gone and if Lavia goes as well that's the kind of main big three that we knew would probably go back up to the Premier League so for me, once it's done, I can just kind of breathe that sigh of relief. I don't need to check Twitter every 
six hours to see the latest development on what's going on. We can just kind of focus on our own um, recruitment now and just go and get the, the quality that we need. Uh, I know we will have money and teams will know we will have money, but we're also buying teams to strengthen our championship side. We're not going to go and try and invest from a you know another big Premier League team. We're going to buy sensible transfers that are going to improve our squad at the moment and what we're trying to do. So I don't think we'll be ripped off ridiculously. I think we'll just wisely put that money in and there'll be plenty of options to, to improve our squad. Right. That's the only real official business that's been done. Che Adams and uh, Alex McCarthy as well have also been linked to as well as Bella Kotchap. But once the deal's closer, that's when we'll start talking about them. Now it's time to discuss the fans forum. Mike, is there any key takeaways that you you had out of that? Um, it, it was just kind of funny that towards the end, Russell Martin hinted at a um, move for Flynn Dows was being completed with a player coming in who's had a hundred odd appearances in, in the football league and and has played in the Premier League. And then the next following question was, "Is Flynn Dows coming in?" And Jason Wilcox just went, "Yeah." So <laughs> <laughs> it it seems like that deal is done and and um we'll we'll be fine. And on that point, you've just said on on um. You know, we're we're not going to overspend on players. It's it's exactly what it sounds like. I think Wilcox has said that we're not going to put the club in a in a stupid financial position just just because we've got the money to do so. Um, these investments that the club have made have been excellent. You think what we've spent fourteen million on Salisu managed to return twenty after a couple of years of injury and in the final year of his contract. Livermento was four million, and we managed to like multiply that value by 10 within within two years and a 12 month injury wall prowse 30 million pounds it's it's a shame but it's a massive amount of wages off the books if if the 30 percent is right then seventy thousand pound a week he was on so in the championship that's just not as attainable as it is in the premier league so to get the money off as sad as it is is, is a very good thing and if we can get what 50 60 million for Romeo Lavia again we're making 50 million pound worth of profit that I know some of it goes to Chelsea or, or City or whoever when you talk to the Livermento stuff but really really good money for the club and shows the recruitment was good and that's still looking at outlays for Bella Kotchap as well leaving Chai Adams maybe going as you've said so there there are still little bits and pieces that need to be done and, and the hope is that as has been said for the past six or seven weeks, if players do leave, then we have replacements lined up for them that we feel like we can go and get with the money that we have. So fingers crossed, if if the players do leave, then, then that's fine. But Russell Martin saying that players had their head turned by him and, and, and the club and the project that they want to run and and having the opportunity to play in the championship and get promotion under their belt and, and being a part of Russell Martin's project at Southampton was enough to turn some of the players who thought they were leaving back round and, and have them uh, at, at the football club for the season. So fingers crossed, it'll be an interesting last, what, two, three weeks of the window, however long, I can't do dates. Um, but <laughs> we can well, we've got two weeks left of the window, so it'll be interesting to see once Lavia leaves what what the plan is, whether it is just Flynn Dows or is there anything else uh, currently being wiggled around and, and see what will happen. And Ollie, did you take anything away from the form? Was there any big point that you thought was really interesting? Yeah, it was majorly just recruitment that was mentioned. Um, 
and kind of clearing up a few things that was, was speculation. One thing that I did find interesting, uh, apparently Alcaraz is the hardest trainer. There you go. That's a little thing from Russell that I thought was interesting. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, I think Mikey kind of covered it all. But yeah, interesting to see that Alcaraz is, is the one that's putting in the most effort in, in the week. One thing that I really liked was the way that he staunchly defended Gavin Bazunu. Mikey, how much did you like to see that? See that? Yeah, I think it was really good that he was, he was defending Bazunu. Again, still a really young goalkeeper with a long way to go. And and I, again, I don't think he's had a particularly poor start to the season. I, I think there's definitely a narrative around him where he, he's not performed the best over the last 12 months or so since signing. And and sometimes he has had slips and, and lapses in judgment and errors. But I I don't think there's been a lot he could do about, especially the four at Norwich. I don't think the three at Gillingham were particularly his fault. I think you can the only one you can really flag up is the preseason goal against Reading. I think that's probably the main one people are pointing fingers at. And as much as people don't like hearing, it doesn't really count for anything. So I, I think it's the right thing to do. And he's definitely going to be the number one moving forward, especially if Alex McCarthy's going to be moving on. Um, I, I think that's what the free transfer was was brought in to do. Who I can't remember his name. Joe Lumley. That's the one. Yeah, Joe Lumley. Um, him coming in. Uh, I think that's what he's for is is to almost replace Alex McCarthy. But I know there's talks with Luton and Crystal Palace and what whatever. But I think he's on fifty grand a week and Luton don't want to pay that. So I think he'll probably be just Palace who can um who can match that. And it's whether they want to move for him or not. Um, they're getting away from the point. Um, yeah, the, 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 I, I think it's good that he's backed him. Uh, I think it hopefully it'll bring a confidence boost to Bazunu. And again, I don't think he started the season too poorly. Uh, I think the only other interesting thing, having read through quotes again now, I think the only interesting thing that else is um, Wilcox uh, sort of almost having a go at Southampton for the last six months, saying that he felt the games that were won were, were down to luck and there wasn't really a lot of system involved and, and, and that, that there wasn't... And I think that's that's probably right. It feels like that there wasn't really a system, there wasn't really a style. We were... The games that we managed to get ahead in it was, what, 3-3 against Arsenal, 3-3 against Spurs, a draw against Manchester United... They always felt like we were on the, the luckier side of things and, and the only reason why we came away with draws then was just because we managed to say we we just managed to deal with stuff on the night instead of it being a, a sort of systematic approach, which Wilcox coming from a Manchester City background and leading the academy and things like that, that is how he will operate is down to a system and down to that sort of approach. So I found that quite interesting that he, he felt like he had to call the club out almost in in that way. It it may not have been phrased that way. I've not heard it, but it, it, it's interesting to hear and and hopefully something that will change. And we've seen changes that it's definitely a more systematic approach. And fingers crossed, we won't just be winning down to luck. We'll be winning because we're a good side in the championship. No, absolutely. I think he was spot on when he said that. I mean, the the points that we collected near the back end of the season, I think it's because we threw the kitchen sink at teams in terms of both defensively, defensively, but also offensively. It didn't really feel like there was any stylistic, you know, match up. Whereas with Jason Wilcox, like he says, his sinks, uh, you know, 
on the wall they're nicely fitted all the water works perfectly it's not taken off the wall and thrown at anything uh, right time to preview the game against plymouth ollie what do you think ahead of the game against plymouth i'm thinking you've just i don't know said sink too many times and i don't know if it's a real word anymore <laughs> um what do I think about Perth? I'm, I'm going to be really bad this season because I don't know championship football. I'm going to be absolutely no use. I know Plymouth just got... Um, they won through automatic promotion. They won League One. So I know they've come up with that. So I've heard high praise for their manager. I heard we were even linked with him at one point, which kind of worried me a little bit because I was thinking League One straight to trying to get back into the, the Premier League might have been a big jump. So, But I know there was plaudits for... Um, uh, the way that they won League One, they played good football. They won it in, in uh, I think they were pretty pretty far off everyone else from from what I remember. Um, so could be similar to the the Sheffield Wednesday game and the fact that there's going to be a tight knit uh, squad there that work well together. But you have to think about the fact that they are still League One quality and then trying to improve to be Championship. So you would see us as favourable. Um, I do worry that they might have um, success on the counter-attack considering Norwich definitely did and got four goals past us um, and we'll be, we won't be at home this time to try and have the um, fans behind the back. We'll be uh, travelling down to Plymouth. So hopefully in, in transition we can be a little bit stronger make sure that we don't have those sort of same, same mistakes and look a little bit, bit stronger when we do give the ball away. Um, and then... I hope we can just be a little bit more um, creative in our in our attack towards goal. I thought a lot of the times against Norwich, we had this very similar pattern. We had some beautiful play in the midfield where you'd have players dropping in, little one-twos open up pockets. And then once we got to that final third, we'd have a centre midfielder who would come and play a little triangle with um, the majority of the game. It was, it was Manning, Adozi and Armstrong. And although they picked up good positions in the... Uh, around the right back and the right midfielder it didn't feel like we were very particularly threatening and the only real thing we had was Adozi sizing up the full back and kind of attacking one-on-one and he has the skill to do that but it made us a little bit predictable and I think teams might seem to notice that because we always play to Manning because he's very comfortable in this in this system and he knows what he's doing so we almost give it to him because he can he can hold the ball well it goes down the line to Adozi, and then Adozi tries to take on his man 1v1 one, one one and try and get into the box. So I hope we can kind of change up our style a little bit and make sure we're not too predictable in the kind of the patterns that we create. But um, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see how we, we take those, those positives from the Norwich game and the fact that we did get those goals and we created opportunities and kind of see how we alter that um, for the next one. Marky. Looking ahead at the game, who should start against Plymouth? Um, depend. I was about to say, depends who's around. I'd like to see Shea Charles um, start after his performance at the end of a Norwich game. Um, I think that would be a really good replacement for a small bone, as unfortunate that he is, that he's not fit. Um, but I, I wouldn't really rotate too much from Norwich. I, I think there's a couple of players that, yeah, they made mistakes, but... It, it sometimes happens and hopefully won't be a repeat. Um, and it's hard to say that you take Adam Armstrong out for Che Adams. So I think it makes it quite difficult who you'd want to see for Plymouth. Um, I, I know from last year, Plymouth got 
over 100 points in League One, which is a fantastic achievement for them. But I also know that they massively overperformed their XG and massively over their expected goals conceded as well. I think it was almost they were 10 over their expected goals for their goal scored. And then they were 15 under their expected goals conceded as well. So it's massive overperformance, but it's something that they've definitely recruited for and, and something that they want to improve. And Schumacher is a, is a really good coach at that level too. He's, he's had a really good time as a manager. And I think he said he wanted to challenge himself against Neil Ward and people like that who have been experienced in the championship and, what they beat Huddersfield on the opening day, and I can't really remember what they've done on the second match day. But I, did they lose or, or draw? A nil-nil draw against Watford. Uh, okay, yeah. Which could, which again could be a good result considering they battered QPR, but could also not be. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the overall hope is that we're just going to have too much quality for them. And if we dominate like we did against Sheffield Wednesday, fingers crossed, we'll have what seven points from our opening nine games. No, seven points from opening three games. Yeah, that wouldn't be the, the best return. I was about to call QPR awful, but then realise they're the next team after Plymouth that we've got to play. So I'm <laughs> going to hold back on that comment just yet. Ollie, would you keep the same team against Plymouth? I'd, I'd do what Mikey would do, to be honest. I think I'd keep the same. I think um, maybe a bit of pressure on a dozy. To just, I, think he, I think he still deserves to um, start the game, but I think... We did also look good when we made changes to that side. And I think his end product does need to be uh, not questioned, but just keep an eye on because we mentioned it last week. And I think against Norwich, again, he, he seemed dangerous, but he didn't really create too much. And I think he, he did kind of struggle um, trying to beat his man at, at times. Um, and I also thought Alcaraz had a pretty quiet first half, um, but then built, really built in in the second half. So... I think he's one of those players that you do have to just kind of show your faith in him and he, he will kind of repay you. So, um, yeah, really, I, I just kind of make that one change with Smallbone, um, put a bit of, um, make the the midfield a little bit more solid by bringing in um, Shea Charles and uh, the rest, I think, deserve to, to keep their places, really. So I, I'd only really make the, the one change and agree with Mikey. Well, the final question before the infamous score predictions, if Flynn Downs gets signed before the game against Plymouth. Mikey, would you start him after what Russell Martin said in his post-match against Norwich about us probably conceding less if he was in the team? Um, I could see it, yeah. I, I could see him, him coming in and starting as the six. I, I'd, I'd like to see Jay Charles be given that opportunity considering how well he did at the end of the Norwich game, but you know how football is. It's not always down to opportunity. It's about winning games. So if there's any, if if Flynn Downs is seen as the player who can come in and and help us win games, then that's that's the most important thing. I, I think. Um, uh, again, Shay Charles, I think probably deserves a chance, but if not, then Flynn Downs will come in and be the. I think there's much more competition apart from that. Right, score prediction time for the game against Plymouth. Ollie, what do you think is going to happen? Ooh, I don't think it's going to be low scoring again. I know you went for a 1-0 last week, but I, I think you're going to be wrong. Um, I think 2-1. 2-1 Saints. I'm confident. I think we'll we'll play well. And I think we'll... I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. I don't think we're going to see too many of those this season. But yeah, I, I think I'd be happy with a 2-1. I think it'd be a good result. I think our quality will just be there and prevail a little bit more. So that's what I'm going for. 
Mikey, what's your prediction for Plymouth v Saints? Um, I am hoping for a clean sheet in this game. I know Plymouth are going to be bouncing off of walls and, and, and they've had a really good start to, to life in the championship. But fingers crossed. I'm going to back Bazunu like, um, like Russell. And I, I'm hoping for a clean sheet. So I'm going to go 2-0 win and, and hopefully it'll be a little bit more comfortable than, than the um, Norwich result. And hopefully similar to what Sheffield Wednesday was, that's that's the hope. But I know there's a lot of talk around Sheffield Wednesday at the moment and then being very poor, probably one of the ones definitely in the bottom three. And there's a little bit more question marks on Plymouth because of the start of the season. So fingers crossed we can hopefully stamp out that little bounce that they've had and, and come away with three points. I'm going to say the same as you. I'm going to say it's going to be a 2-0 win for Southampton. I think Huddersfield and Watford... Uh, they're okay size, but I think we're going to be their first real test, and I think it'll be a comfortable 2-0 victory. That's all we've got time for for this week's episode of the podcast. We looked at the Saints' 4-4 draw against Norwich in their first home game of the season. We looked at the fans' four, and we looked at James Will-Prowse and Lavia going out the door. Flynn Downs coming in and previewed the game against Plymouth as well. Next week, we'll hopefully be looking back on a win, preview the game against QPR, and maybe a couple of transfers in, a couple of transfers out. I'd certainly take that as well. My name's been Harry Tizard. I've been joined by Mikey Magement. Goodbye. Ollie Boasts. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks a lot for listening. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>